0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Ritchie, the deputy editor of vanityfair.com, and I'm here with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. Our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So, guys, we have still a lot of movies to talk about because it's September. Award season is starting. We're not currently traveling to film festivals, but there is one about to kick off in New York City, which we can get into uh, and then talk about some of the films that are out there for everybody to see, including my uh, probably my like just fan choice segment for this podcast, where we'll get Joanna and Richard to talk about Kingsman: The Golden Circle,
2: probably the the Oscariest movie of the year. So it's oh, certainly
1: you know, there's at least one Oscar, two Oscar winners in there. But we want to start with the New York Film Festival because that kicks off this Friday with a film from Richard Linklater. Richard, you will definitely be attending a good number of films there. Uh, What are we kind of looking out for? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of great films that were at Cannes and at uh, Toronto and other festivals but what are, what are kind of the new movies that are showing their faces in the next few weeks there
2: Well the New York Film Festival does not premiere a ton of new things they usually do about two or three um last year they had 20th Century Women and The Lost City of Z which only you know opened the next year uh so this year it's a similarly small slate of like world premieres there's Last Flag Flying which is Richard Linklater's film about three veterans on kind of a, a road trip to, to to bury one of their sons who's died in the Iraq war in 2003. It is a re a, a sequel sort of to the last detail. The, what? The, the movie with Jack Nicholson sort of, or a spiritual it has some, it has some relationship to that movie. Really? Yeah. I
1: did not know that. And yeah. Brian
3: Cranston does a, like a, White guy, veteran accent.
2: He 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 plays a kind of uh like New York kind of guy. Yeah, Yeah. that
3: was my big (laughs) takeaway from the from the uh, trailer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, if I can talk about it because I think the embargo won't be up when the episode airs. But uh, I have seen it, and judging from other critics I've talked to, it, it's proving a little divisive, which is odd for a Richard Linklater movie, who you, people usually tend to go in for his stuff. But this is an odd choice for him, uh, just kind of tonally and thematically. But but yeah, I think it, it's the big opening night movie uh, this week, so it's getting a nice showcase at, at New York Film Festival. And then the other big one is um, everyone's favorite non-problematic filmmaker, Woody Allen, has a, uh, <laughs> has a new film called Wonder Wheel, which is a rare drama from him, um, which I actually you know, if we're going to uh, look at his work in a vacuum minus his personal life, I tend to kind of be into his dramas. I mean, I think match point, which is I guess, more of a thriller is like one of my favorite yeah. of his movies. So match, point th- match
0: points, my favorite too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And this one is a kind of nostalgia piece set on Coney Island where, you know, sort of near where he grew up, I guess. And, and um, like forties or what? I think it's a fifties. 50s. 50s? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of multiple stories. He's, he's good in that period where everyone's so sexually frustrated that all they do is think about sex and talk about it the entire time. That's, that's like kind of his key period right no i think that's that's exactly right um and kate Winslet is in this playing an actress uh justin timberlake plays a, a young like a lifeguard at coney island which you know for those clamoring for years for the J- justin timberlake woody allen movie it's it's almost here and fa- fascinatingly jim belushi who just because it's alphabetical but is first listed on the poster like i mean maybe he's doing a thing where like he did with blue jasmine with it's andrew dice clay
3: belushi sans
2: yeah finally he was because great he was, in twin peaks he's so yeah. good in twin peaks yeah, Belushi songs. So we got to work on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure that Belushi's people would be happy to work with us on that. <laughs> <laughs> thrilled.
1: And as far as we know, so the the buzz, uh, more people have seen Last Flight Flying, but Wonder Wheel seems to be a little bit more hidden. And I think with Woody Allen, we always kind of like earmark whatever he's doing in terms of awards conversations, and it is hard to know until like, maybe even when it premieres, because sometimes audiences can respond to his stuff differently.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I I, I think that. You know, I think that New York Film Festival is a is a pretty safe-ish showcase for him. It's it's interesting. He usually has movies that can, you know, because the French are more forgiving of him. But uh but I think New York Film Festival will be a good platform for it. You know, a, a lot of times that sort of second bigger movie to Ope to premiere at at the festival either isn't gonna come out that year or it sort of just flies a little under the radar, kind of like twentieth century women did. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I think that for our purposes, like the most intriguing thing about wonder wheel is whether Kate Winslet will be a late entry into this very crowded best actress race.
1: Mm-hmm. And she kind of has the, uh, the prestige to do it. Like she's the person who is famous and beloved enough by the Academy that if she shows up, like people make room for her.
2: Yes, exactly. So, so, so we'll see. And you know, who knows, maybe, maybe we should, we shouldn't speak counting out Justin Timberlake. I mean, we've, we've all, we've all done that before and, and look, you know, we've been proven wrong.
3: He's a lifeguard. Uh,
2: yeah <laughs> sounds pretty good
1: justin timberlake was an oscar nominee for trolls don't forget he's uh he's part of the club now i like when timberlake tries like black snake moan i just like watching him try
0: you know wait sense? a
3: minute i mean he was uh, like amazing in the social network
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, and, totally. like, yeah and, and, and if you've Anthony ever met Sean
3: parker he's like he's he's just as <laughs> annoying but a little more fun to be around <laughs>
0: And he was really good at inside Lewin Davis too. I liked him in that. So yes, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be unfair to Timberlake. But like uh by trying I mean like he's one of like I like Beyonce too I'll all hail Beyonce he's one of those singers like he wants to be taken very seriously as an actor that is something that he would like to have on his bucket list and I don't think yeah. that has quite happened for him yet despite these like a uh, few good performances and so like it's it's just it always feels efforty even if he is quite good does that make any sense <laughs> it, it it does I
1: really. love that you had to say I all hail Beyonce just like to keep the behind from attacking you <laughs> At like yeah. you can say nothing bad about Beyonce <laughs> So the third movie, the kind of the big, I guess, closing night is Meyerwitz Stories, right?
2: Yeah, which is a movie I missed at Cannes, which so that's a, I'm excited to catch up with that. You know, hear good things. I think Jordan Hoffman reviewed it for us and positively on the site. So it's that, but the, yeah, the, the New York Film Festival is. Um, I don't mean to like denigrate it by saying they don't premiere a lot of things because they what they what it is is a really wonderful showcase for stuff that most people haven't gotten to see in you know France or Toronto or wherever. And so something like Meyerowitz Stories, Wonderstruck, the Todd Haynes film that was also at Cannes, will be there um and then there's a, a, a like a raft of, of smaller films like um this movie the rider that i keep missing with uh, the chloe zhao film uh we um photographed her in telluride justin bishop photographed her for us and her movie has just been a hit at Cannes at telluride um but it's just been hit at festivals and i'm fine i'm finally getting a get a chance to see it which is something i'm really grateful to the new york film festival for
3: and Meyerowitz Stories is is Noah Baumbach. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that Greta and Noah both have are a couple. Yeah, and both have directed films that are kind of in the in the mix this year, and uh, and they both seem potentially like quasi autobiographical in certain ways. Yeah, right. Yeah. Justin Hoffman plays the father of three siblings: Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and uh, who's the who's the third one? Uh, oh, Elizabeth Marvel. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, and he and he's the fresh. Uh, the father is a sort of frustrated, never got in his career where he, quite where he he was a sculptor uh, where he wanted to, which is reminiscent of another autobiographical Noah Baumbach film, Squid and the Whale, which is where right. Jeff Daniels plays the dad and he's a frustrated mm-hmm. writer. Um. So a recurring theme uh, in his work, and yeah, and Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's film, is very autobiographical. So I think they're maybe they're just kind of bouncing off each other, and and you know. Uh, working through stuff through the magic and
3: Noah if anyone's going to be the kind of Woody Allen without the creepy personal life knock on wood maybe maybe (laughs) Noah yeah he's got that he like tells those great New York stories in a very you know sort of recognizable way if you actually live here yeah
2: so I'm excited to see that and you'd have to imagine, you know, I don't know, uh, you, I'm sure Katie and Mike, you've seen it too, like the, the a lot of the public audiences for a New York Film Festival, it's it's old and it's New York. And I feel like uh, yeah. a, a, a movie like Meyerowitz yeah. could really speak to them. Yeah,
1: true. It's the crowd who, uh, you know, will go to things that play at Lincoln Square for six months. Well, this is a film that... You know the rest
0: of us can see on Netflix on October thirteenth. Like it's so it's it's one of those weird things, man. Where I'll get to see it not soon, not long after you guys. So
1: yeah, this was what I was going to point out is that it's the West Stories so was one of the Netflix titles that kind of started controversy at Cannes when um they were you know the French film distributors basically went nuts. And so it's a Netflix film, and then um, Last Flight Flying and Wonder Wheel both Amazon films. So there's this weird like quiet but powerful takeover of these upstart streaming services. And we've talked on the show about how Amazon is kind of playing the Oscar game a little bit more traditionally than Netflix is, and they released their films in theaters. And you know, Manchester by the Sea played for theaters in months before it was on Amazon. Um, but I mean, it does give you the feeling that like Wonder Wheel has whatever you know Oscar buzz it does, and Meyerowitz What Stories is there, but it's a Netflix movie. It's opening at the same time on Netflix as in theaters, and for now, it does feel like that gives it kind of a ding in terms of Oscar consideration.
2: Yeah, I was on the Netflix website, not the like the Apple TV app, but on on my laptop, and. Uh, first, they killed my father. The Angelina Jolie film that opened to raves in 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 Telluride, premiered to raves, was buried on on the, on the, the main page. It was like four rows down, all the way to the side. And I guess that's an algorithm thing. For other people, it was more prominently featured. But anyway, if it's tw-
3: not featured for you
2: right a film well, right. critic right. who goes right. to like it's, not, it's, like, it's not like film festivals and who's who's seeing it the algorithm didn't know i saw it you know i don't think
1: well, mike he's watching a lot of fuller house so it might be well <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah
2: my my, my it's true but um but you know the thing about it is that i tweeted at, you know about it and and a bunch of people were like oh it's an algorithm whatever but a lot of people said wait that's out i had no idea that was out yeah and it's just like it really frustrated me because here's a movie that cambodia is submitting as their foreign language oscar hopeful that Tells a story that has not been told on film very much, you know, that that's important. That is a, a major leap for a filmmaker who hasn't hadn't quite really found her, her, her footing or her voice yet. And then it's just dumped. And I'm, I, I'm worried the same thing is going to happen to Meyerowitz and the same thing is going to happen to Mudbound until they just, I don't know, like more. I mean, feature that feature. First, they killed my father. On the top of everyone's Netflix experience, just for a week of release or something—I yeah. don't know—do something. Well,
3: and and I think you know the same kind of thing happened with Brad Pitt's War Machine. Sure. It's like when when these movies come oh, out. Yeah. Whereas whereas I I know we've said this before, but I think by the time you saw Manchester by the Sea in your Amazon queue, you were like, oh wow, I got to see that. And they gave it they gave it pride of place. They you know they have so I, it reminds me of when I worked at Huff um, HuffPost AOL and I said to the guy who was running the AOL homepage at that time, which had m- many millions. People looked at it every day. I said, "What if we just took our really good, high-quality stuff, and we don't have to put it at the top? But let's just put it somewhere over he- somewhere on the page." And he said to me, "Let me get this straight. You want to take our lowest-performing content and put it in the lowest-performing part of the page? Like, how does that make sense?" And I think that sort of mm. algorithmic mentality is not a great fit for award season for this prestige world and I, and and I think they're going to unless they find a solution for it they're going to run into some problems I do know that Netflix is now like on my Apple, my new Apple TV. It's evolving very fast. There's like sort of mini trailers for every single thing that I see on it. So yeah, I they, do like they that. They seem to be working to create a more hospitable place. But it, it, as long as it's queues where the the best kind of most exclusive stuff doesn't show up, if you watch too many, like you know, in your case, uh, Fuller I don't House. Know, what Fuller House. <laughs> it's it's a challenge, <laughs> I think. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit PitchforkMusicFestival.com.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. terms apply.
1: So while we all wait to see what's coming at New York Film Festival or things like Meyerowitz Stories, which will be on Netflix in a few weeks, I kind of want to look back just briefly at some of the films that are already out this year that are ramping up their Oscar campaigns in one way or another. It's a little bit early, but screeners are starting to arrive to various people. You're starting to see things like, we talked about where Christopher Nolan came to Toronto with Dunkirk to kind of get that in front of people. And I think there's kind of, there's one obvious one to start with that maybe we should just in terms of films from earlier in the year that we don't think are counted out yet, and that's Get Out i think we talked about that last week as you know a possible best fiction nominee and maybe one of the few uh movies not about white people that would be in the in the conversation uh i mean do we all feel as bullish on get out as we did like in february when it was breaking records and it was all anybody wanted to talk about i mean bullish in what category
0: like i still feel bullish about it in like a screenwriting and possibly even directing category so yeah screenwriting that's that's where i'm i'm here for jordan peele screenwriting oscar win this year
1: and given that it's his first film like that seems like a huge accomplishment
2: and that it's a horror film you know uh and that it's one that um
1: and a comedy you know
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it yeah it's sort of Ben's genre and and you know and so yeah screenplay is, is where that tends to get rewarded but i don't know i still have this intuition just based now that we have most of the festivals over with and and we sort of know what mostly what the players look like i just sort of still have this feeling that it 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 could get into a best picture depending on how many nom- nominees there are i'd be just because it you know, it's 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 very relevant. You know, however many months later, and the academy with all of its changes, and you know, wanting to seem a bit more forward facing, I think that they could maybe even just subconsciously react in kind and, and vote for that movie.
3: Yeah, I think in a in a world of uh, nine. Nine yeah. nominees. I think it, it has a really good shot.
2: Yes, yeah, because because some other stuff just kind of came, you know, didn't really play big at festivals. And so a lot of things stuff that, you know, from far away looked to be sort of more more like lock, you know, for for awards based stuff kind of didn't do much so i think that it, it opens some room for get out and, and a few other films
0: i, I see it a, i see it as a nomination absolutely i just don't see it as like a serious contender and you know it'd be fun to be proven wrong um but like yeah i i agree with you guys i love it as like a number nine or number eight on the nominee list you know
3: but here's what's weird is i when we were at toronto um the guys that we were talking to said do you think dunkirk will end up winning best picture and i very immediately was like no and then af- now that the festival's over, like, I don't know what's going to beat it. I don't think anything's going to beat it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- that's the thing. It was a weird festival year where in in some ways, like, stuff, there was a, there was big stuff they debuted, but, like, the biggest stuff, the most seismic stuff all kind of happened before. I mean, it, that's yeah. what it felt like in mm-hmm. a way.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Is, there, is there anything big lurking, Richard? Like, I feel like last year there were a couple big things still lurking that hadn't premiered. Is there?
2: There's Steven Spielberg's movie. Uh, there's Paul Thomas Anderson's movie. There's Hugh Jackman's Circus Musical, which um, will be my best picture photo. <laughs> <vote. laughs> and Kingsman. Yeah. Kingsman, those... <laughs> yeah,
1: can, yeah. Can keep Kingsman
2: we can't forget that. Um, yeah, so there's still stuff. And, um, you know, uh, one thing about New York Film Festival, just to go back to that for a sec, is that they not they didn't do it last year, but they have in the past done a kind of secret screening, which mm. you find out about, like, Day Of or whatever. And one year it was Les Mis, one year it was Lincoln. So it's potential that, that something could screen there. Maybe, Maybe the Spielberg film, maybe a circus musical
1: it feels like it's been a few years since they did that but it went yeah. really well for lincoln and, it, and hugo did it one year too that i've been hoping that they'd bring that back
2: and didn't it kind of go well for les mis or am i crazy did what, what was the reaction i forget what the reaction i don't was. remember yes. it
1: being les mis but
2: i saw it
3: i was there for it people were into it right yeah
2: yeah and then that got a ton of oscar nominations it was
3: great and tom hooper introduced it yeah. everybody was kind of like this is this is fantastic. well because everyone's
2: excited to be at the secret screening we had I mean, festival yeah. fever it's yeah, all exactly. about festival fever yeah um and at a festival where a lot of local like New York journalists don't it doesn't feel as festively because they're in their home t- they're where they live yeah. it creates that sense of specialness which yes. i think is it's important
1: uh, to go back into kind of some of the stuff from the earlier of the year, we were talking before the show started how I have uh, I received a screener for a movie that I had not heard of called Maudie, which is uh, being distributed by Sony Pictures Classics. And it's got Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins. He's kind of, you know, very prestige actors. And Joanna pointed out to me, and it's totally true, it has made $6 million, which is more than, say, The Book of Henry which I don't think anyone is dominating for an Oscar. Um, but there are a lot of really small movies that are kind of in the works like that. I mean, I think The Big Sick is a really big example. That was an indie hit over the summer. It's made something like $30 million. Uh, but there's things like Beatrice at Dinner. There's Madi. Like, what what are you guys trying to remember? I mean, like, Richard, when you're trying to make your top 10 list at the end of the year, like, what do you feel like you can't let yourself forget about when all this big hype stuff comes back?
2: Uh, well, I won't forget about it, but I I can't. I, I have to remind myself that Personal Shopper came out this year even though I saw it last oh, year. Oh
1: yeah. I um, yeah. have
2: to remember about Lost City of Z. There was a lot of good stuff in the first half of the year. Oh uh, there's ghost a story? Uh, um ghost story. Thank you. Yes, keep forgetting about that. Their finest a a love a lovely little lone surfick movie that uh, I don't think it'll be on top 10 list but maybe it will. That's actually the third Dunkirk movie. Of the year, <laughs> it's th- three. It's Gosh. a trend. It's because they make a. It's about them making a movie about the evacuation of Dunkirk to get Americans interested in joining the war. Because they're making a movie for American audiences in England, and the movie that they create, this fake movie within a movie, is about Dunkirk. Wow. So uh, Dunkirk People is People Movies, a
1: year. movies within a movie. in yeah. Dunkirk.
2: Yeah. So again, you know, just because the festivals were a little odd, and then there was so much good stuff in the first half of the year. Yeah, it's just an. It's an odd and sort of um, unpredictable race right now which is exciting
1: i had one more thing to bring up that was really more of a question i was looking at box office mojo and wind river with jeremy renner and elizabeth olsen is like still making money it's made let me get the exact number it's made 31 million at this point so it's doing really well for a tiny movie uh it's directed by taylor sheridan who uh wrote the screenplay for hell of high water which was a um best picture nominee last year is it like are we sleeping on that one i haven't seen it I've, I, a lot of, um, like, it's so funny. The critical community seems pretty quiet on it, but like a lot,
0: <laughs> my man on the street experience tells me that like a lot of, a lot of people out here are seeing it. Like a lot of people, a lot of my friends have asked me if I've seen it. They've seen it. And I'm like, no, no one's talking about it. They're like, well, we're talking about it. So I don't know.
3: Yeah. Ca- can anyone explain it? Because I saw it and my uh, initial reaction was Taylor Sheridan is a really good screenwriter. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> but why? What is it? I and mean, people just like Jeremy Renner because of Marvel? Like, why are people going?
2: Uh, or does it just seem kind of cool? I think that... Well, I mean, I think that it's set in a rugged American West. That could appeal to parts of the country. I like that. Um, I think that it's people like Murder Mysteries um yeah. it you know I, I i maybe the ads just saying hell or high water and sicario that just works they don't care wh- what the person yeah. had to do in those yeah other movies, he was a but,
3: screener for but sicario there's obviously word there. of mouth on it there's i mean there's word yeah. of mouth. people are like oh you gotta go see it yeah i yeah.
2: i didn't i didn't i didn't warm to it let's say um it's set in a very cold climate that's hence the warm joke but uh, um well, is it elizabeth olsen too i mean do people Does
3: this mean that elizabeth well, olsen like is actually uh, a movie star Ingrid in we-
2: west didn't do much did it mm-hmm. no maybe
0: uh, it's a double double marvel stars right you yeah got two avengers hawkeye
1: headlining. and uh yeah. scarlet, witch? scarlet witch yeah hey. Hey. Uh,
2: but if if i had to kind of theorize about why that movie has word of mouth I think that it's a movie that strives really hard to have a message beyond just being a crime thriller in this, in much the same way that Hell or Highwater was, I think, sometimes a little clunkily about the economy. This is about sort of race and land rights and, and I guess maybe has bearing on, some bearing certainly on, you know, the, the pipeline protests. I, yeah. I think, but I don't think it quite gets there. I think it makes its points a little bit heavy handedly and maybe also well, it's terrible to its female character, and um, as as his other movies have been too. But but I think that it's easy in a way because the movie is so atmospheric, um, and and it is engaging to walk out of that and be like, wow, that was like some. You got to see this. You know, it has it has an ending kind of punch to it that I think makes you forget other aspects of the movie that that aren't as strong.
0: It's also playing everywhere and all the time is what I've noticed when I've looked up Showtimes for other movies. I'm like, wow, Wind River's playing everywhere and all the time. So, um, I don't know if, if, uh, that's just anecdotal evidence or if there's actual hard data to back that up, but it seems like it is a very aggressive release.
2: Well, for some reason. we, maybe we shouldn't count old Harvey out. I mean, that's his movie. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I just got a press release that's coming on to uh it's coming digital at the end of October. So it'll play out and be on Blu-ray just in time for uh screeners to go out. So
3: I predict right now it's going to end up being a TV series of some kind too, like a streaming streaming TV. I think oh. it has that vibe. I mean, it's sort of like a that's tr- one like of the
0: true detective. Vibe, yeah,
3: it's kind of like it has the feel, in know, in, in some ways, in some ways, it's very brutal. And like you said, I think to clarify, what we said about being horrible to its women characters. I, I, I mean, it's like it, she goes through the ringer, at least. I don't know that it's like, yeah, exactly sexist or anything. It's right. just kind of like, well, we're going to watch this woman endure a lot of horrible stuff.
2: Well, I mean, just think that the Olsen character is is sort of. Incompetent from the from the get go. I guess oh, she gets to a place, and it was sort of similar to the Emily Blunt's character in Sicario. But yes, no, I don't think I don't think it's a malevolent movie. I don't think right. it's you know.
3: But it but it had kind of at the end of the day, it's sort of like watch a TV show like a Netflix show you would put on at midnight. That like sure. the kind of thing my brother would be like, "You have you seen this weird Netflix show right. about like like this Ozark in or the, something?" Yeah, in the reservation well, was, or whatever. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say it feels like the movie version of Bloodline, which is a show that a lot of critics kind of gave up on. But like every every one of my family members kept asking me if I had yep. watched it. Like it had that weird that kind of appeal all right
0: or like narcos yeah. or narcos. Long- longmire
3: which i love narcos by the way do not hate on Narcos. Uh, narcos please
0: i'm not hating on narcos it's just something that like uh, more people than critics talk about right i think
3: yeah 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 <laughs> we're critics not are people, people too, wrongly. <laughs> uh
0: well
3: all right now i now i have new respect for taylor sheridan as a director
1: <laughs> well, speaking of things that you can go see in theaters now, I wanted to get into two new releases from last week that we got tied up in TIFF and the Emmys and didn't get a chance to talk about. I think we talked about both *Battle of the Sexes* and *Stronger* to some degree uh, over the last couple of weeks. Richard, you think you saw both of them at Telluride, or both of them around the early the start of the festival season? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've both got you know varying levels of warm reviews. I feel like *Battle of the Sexes* still has this huge press campaign behind it. I think they're both platforming and maybe expanding into more theaters. But the amount of actual like Oscar buzz around them, beyond people like us. Saying Jake is really good. It seems really muted. Is that just me overreading it because everyone is I don't know, talking about politics instead of po- Oscars except for us?
2: Uh no, I think that you're I think you're right. I mean, I you know, I think Emma Stone is still very much like in the mix uh for Battle of the Sexes, but like again, it's a crowded field, so I don't know. And like the response to that movie in Telluride was strong, but that's a small, excited audience. I think in Toronto it was a bit more Quiet, Uh, and you know, and that's less surprising. I think I've said maybe either in writing or on the podcast that like, you know, people were talking about that movie as a sort of blindside as hopeful, and I just think that like, depending on this how the the platforming thing works, like, I think the box office is really going to have come, you know, have bearing on that. As for Stronger, yeah, I saw that before any of the festivals started in New York, and and I, I think it's really good, and I think Jake Gyllenhaal is really good in it, but like it. It hasn't really stuck. Jeff Bowman, Bowman, the guy who Gyllenhaal plays, has been on the press tour with Gyllenhaal and has been really charming on Conan and various other shows. So maybe that'll help it. But yeah, it's kind of a bummer.
3: Katie and I uh, interviewed him on the red carpet at Toronto. He was a lovely. Guy. He's a funny guy, right? Yeah, yeah charming. He and Jake are like buds. But yeah, man, one point six million to date
1: yeah i mean it does feel like with garrett with the whole like gary oldman's gonna win an oscar narrative like could really help something like stronger where like there's so much attention being paid to the top of the field that there's room for a lot of other people to get in get in there like i still wouldn't count a jake Hall best actor campaign out it still seems very much worth it even if it's off to a slow start
2: yeah uh, and you know here's some i'm looking at the box office now from last weekend and battle of the sexes is in like 20 something theaters 21 theaters and it had a really good Per screen average of $24,000 per screen. So that's good. That's a good sign. That's it's the second highest of the uh, last weekend. But the highest by a good $15,000 more is Victoria and Abdul, which is only on four screens. So, like, who's to say is Judy Dench all, all of a sudden back in it when we kind of had, had I, I had written that movie off, you know, as being a sort of, you know, another Stephen Frears old lady movie. But like the Stephen Frears old lady movies do well at the Oscars. So, Filomena was a down. Best
1: Picture nominee. Yeah,
2: Maureen Dowd
3: interview in the Sunday Times that does not hurt with uh, with yeah. snooty Oscar voters. Yeah,
2: so I so I think that we're yeah we need to sort of I, I don't think that the narratives on any of these are done, but I think you're right, Katie, that like both of Stronger and Ballast could could uh, probably hope for a little bit more oomph right now.
3: So wait, Stronger was in 573 theaters and made 1.6 million dollars.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's not great. Yeah, it, and that's, yeah, it's a really low um, that's average and, you know, screen average. It's so.
3: good. It's good, too. Oh, well, what do I know? I didn't like didn't, whenever I like Stronger. <laughs> I, I thought Stronger was great. Out of touch great. with the American population.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stronger had a, like, three times lower per screen average than the third week of It, which I guess, I mean, It's like a gigantic, crazy phenomenon, but it's a it's don't compare it to, to it way. that's not fair <laughs> <laughs> I'm just look. I'm trying to do math on the fly this is not what I'm cut out for <laughs> one last thing I want to address this is something that I have seen uh, was is out this weekend Mark Felt the man who uh, took down the White House which I saw at Toronto and is another example of kind of a muted response to like a perfectly fine movie and you've got what you know in another year could be something we'd be talking about Liam Neeson playing Mark Felt who uh, was eventually unveiled in the pa- pages of Vanity Fair to be deep throat um, but I think it's a really interesting example of how you get to this time of year in a movie that is for adults and about serious things, and you know good in a lot of ways just like can't break through and especially when premiering at a festival like Toronto where there's so many other things uh, you know clobbering your brain for attention um so just kind of to let anyone know who's got their eye on it it is uh it has plenty to recommend it in many ways, but does seem to be kind of not part of the conversation already, which is, seems like a really unfair thing to say about a movie that hasn't even opened yet, but right.
2: That's the um, and time of year we're in. Let me just let me just read out the cast list. It's crazy. Liam Neeson, Kate Kate Walsh, Diane Lane, Wendy Mcclendon, Covey, Michael Monroe, Michael C Hall, Josh Lucas, Ike Barinholtz, Eddie Marson, Bruce Greenwood, Tom Sizemore, Tony Goldwyn, and Noah Wiley. Brian D'Arcy James, but Noah Wiley. Yeah. So I mean, like, wow. there's a lot. There's a you know a lot, <laughs> a lot to see in that movie at least. So.
3: Okay, but let me ask you this, it, because for me the the bar for Mark felt is why am I going to watch this if I've already seen all the president's men, one of the greatest movies about journalism ever or any topic really mm-hmm. like what's the, what's, what's new or, you know, why? Well, do you It's, the, see it's the
1: other side of the story, which is interesting. And especially, you know, there definitely are ways where you can't help but think of James Comey when you're seeing like scenes from inside the FBI where, yeah. you know, there's a guy like Mark felt thought he would be the FBI director. And instead Nixon appointed, you know, kind of a crony of his in the top position. And you, you can wonder to the extent he was just mad that he got Passover for a promotion. Um, so that part of it is interesting, but there are scenes where he goes to a parking garage to meet with Bob Woodward and it just, all you can do is think, why am I not watching all the president's men right now?
3: Right. So, well, it's interesting.
1: Should I just go watch all the president's men? I haven't watched it in a while. Ooh, yeah. I watched it this year. It was really good watch. Oh, not too, not too depressing.
0: I mean, it's always a really good watch, but you know, and then, and then you're going to want to watch it before the Spielberg movie comes out. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I also saw that this is off topic of everything, but HBO is doing a whole Ben Bradley uh, documentary that's going to come out in early December, pegged to the Post, basically. So it's going to be a good season for the Washington Post.
3: Ben Bradley and Jason Robards. Who was cooler? That's, that's, yeah. like, <laughs> that, they, that's a serious <laughs> probably Probably the movie
1: star. <laughs> Usually the movie star wins, but you never I,
3: yeah, but I don't know. Ben Bradley's pretty cool. That's a good comment. I met uh, Jason Robards when I was a small uh, child actor oh, really? you know that oh. my mom
2: sent me over to him to get an autograph i guess that's the did first
3: autograph i ever got and last wow. i want you to did you did you cry
2: by his bedside like tom cruise in, in magnolia <laughs> oh, <God.
3: laughs> he actually exercised me is that no oh, i'm thinking oh. of max von Sydow. <laughs> Yeah, sorry yeah, okay
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: Now for the moment that I at least have been waiting for. Kingsman, the Golden Circle opened last weekend. Uh, it's a pretty good size hit. I don't know if it's, I haven't looked at its numbers compared to the original Kingsman, but, uh, between that and it, it's a really surprisingly good September after a pretty dreadful summer movie season. And, uh, Richard and Joanna, I wanted you guys to talk about it, not just because you both enjoy it for various reasons, but because you both kind of seem to like, regret liking it so much like you were aware that it's hashtag problematic to like it but you like it anyway which is a fun uh position to have so uh what is tell me what there is to recommend this movie that you guys both kind of thought you maybe wouldn't like
0: i mean well first of all i would recommend that you read uh richard's great review because um it's a it's like, the, okay. On a really serious note, before we get into like sort of some of the sillier reasons why we like this movie, what Richard did in his review, uh, is something that a lot of film critics have struggled with, with, which is identifying someone you fancy in a film and talking about it in a non-creepy way and, and like reckoning with the fact that that might influence your enjoyment of that film. And a lot of critics have been called on the carpet for doing that less successfully. And I just really love the way that Richard did it in this particular review so i would really really recommend even Kudos. if you haven't seen mm. want to see kingsman or whatever read that review because it's a beautiful piece of writing for me.
1: and I, th- I think it's also worth saying that a lot of people do this and don't acknowledge that they do it like there are plenty of examples of like women becoming famous on the power of like men wanting to sleep with them and, and right not writing that in that review in their reviews but that being part of it so i think it's it's good to acknowledge it uh sometimes when it's important
2: i w- when i was writing it i was thinking okay Flip the script here. If this is a, if this is being written about a woman, this is this is creepy. And but I think that you know a history of gender disparity, whatever, kind of uh, accounts for that. But um, I think also like uh, you know, it, I think being honest about that. Uh, about men it's sort of implicit with female actresses like 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 you know scarlett johansson on the poster for a michael bay movie it's sort of like well of course that's part of the appeal um that's sort of tacitly you know just accepted whereas i feel like with like attractive male actors sure like you can titter and make little jokes but like it's not always like embedded into the the sort of core marketability of the movie that there is this sex appeal you know what i mean
0: right and i'm like and and that's what i think is something that kingsman does less overtly than, um, like Matt, the Magic Mike franchise did, <laughs> but like this is in some degree, a uh, you know, a gentle porn for people who like the male form because, uh, I mean, it's suited porn, but it's like it's attractive British actors in suits. And this time we're adding attractive, uh, American actors in denim. And, uh, it, it's part of it. It's part of what they're doing. And, and it's, it's such an interesting thing because I'm always curious, you know, Kingsman exists as, as a spoof of, of, it, you know, it's a comic book adaptation, but it's also a spoof of the James Bond franchise. And um, I'm always curious how much Matthew Vaughn is really aware how much he's spoofing and how much he's falling into the trap himself. Like I'm not, I'm not clear if he's clear on it, but what's true is that while James Bond does fetishize, you know, especially like Daniel Craig, like does fetishize its male lead. It's a, that's a lot about female exploitation and we can talk about the female exploitation of Kingsman, but more than anything else, I think it's, it's about attractive men wearing nice clothing, uh, pulling, pulling off action sequences that are all of them, musical numbers, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 a, it's insane. And this movie has huge appeal for female audience. Um, that's my, that's me speaking anecdotally, but I, I would bet the numbers back me up on that. And, um and, you know, gay male audience, I'm sure too. And I, I don't know, I, I, it has something. And for all its problems and all its flaws, like I do consider this my problematic fave franchise. I'm really excited for the third installment. So yeah, I love it
2: yeah i mean it is problematic uh you know you <clears throat> in, in in plenty of ways but uh I, I don't know i think there's a wink of self-awareness i you know i, I it, it doesn't feel as witless as some people are, are saying it is you know i think it actually does have um some modicum of of self-awareness I, you know the violence is bad and, and the treatment of women to an extent is bad but you know Julian moore is a fun villain in the second one and um and you know by the way once you have julianne moore you know, playing a sort of sweet voice kind of makeup guru turned, you know, murderous uh, supervillain, uh, you know, that's, that's deliberate camp. I mean, that's not, that's not like an accident, um, you know, and that's a de- de- deliberate appeal to um, a demographic beyond the typical, you know, straight male between 15 and however old for an action movie, you know, so I, I, I credit the movie for at least kind of thinking a l- little bit more broadly um, than you yeah. know, a Michael Bay movie, perhaps.
0: I don't understand the, crit- the the critique of it being brainless because I don't think it's that at all and um for all the ways that it is I mean, I feel like this, this second one is almost stubbornly problematic. Like, so the first one has, you know, a lot of people just complained about this one joke at the end of the first one. I mean, the violence in the first one as well, but like, which, which they tried to like make okay by the, all the, you know, people who died being Westboro Baptist racist or something like that. So it's okay to slaughter them all, uh, to a rollicking rock song. But like, um, the, uh, the ending joke is this sort of anal sex joke that a lot of people felt was very, very sexist and demeaning towards women. It didn't really bother me that much. But like, I I see where they're coming from. This movie winks at that joke twice in a really, I thought, clever way. Uh, and then, but then adds its own extra thing, which to me, once again, feels almost like Matthew Vaughn being like, don't tell me what's problematic sex-wise i'll show you problematic sex-wise i mean i don't know what he was thinking with this like yeah. very uh t- Graf- tasteless graphic
2: too in yeah, a way. yeah yeah graphic
0: and tasteless
2: We won't spoil it like pla- but...
0: planting of a device somewhere on a female body and um i mean
3: you've you've met english men before <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: right yeah <laughs> Fair point.
0: <laughs> so I, like, yeah. that's, and that scene actually wouldn't have even bothered me because it does feel like a send up of, of James Bond having to like sleep with assets all the time. Uh, if they would cut away just like, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds sooner, yeah. that, that scene wouldn't have bothered me as much. What bothers me more is that they, they definitely fridge a female character from the first movie. They fridge her right away in the second movie. And that actually did quite bother me. But, um, that botheration aside it, and the weird, cutting out of channing tatum who it's been revealed later like originally had a much bigger role and had scheduling conflicts and so is sort of literally put on ice for a lot of this movie and that feels like um that feels like false, slight false advertising because he's front and center of all the posters but he's really very well, in the well also
2: the the person, so it's half of Taryn Edgerton on the poster and half of someone else, and uh, and it lists you know the cast members on the poster, and so it leads you to believe that that half is is Channing Tatum. It's Pedro Pascal who's not even on the poster and is a much much bigger part. Uh, Well, it's,
0: what's interesting, you're talking about the whip post, the whip hand, which is the coming soon. I believe that actually was Channing Tatum because I was reading this piece in the Hollywood Reporter that when they, uh, put, first put footage out at CinemaCon, it was Channing Tatum who had the whip. And they just had to massively rewrite the thing and give the whip to Pedro Pascal, which, by the way, you know, if, if Taryn Anderton is Richard's kryptonite in this movie, Pedro Pascal, Game of (laughs) Thrones fame is definitely mine. And, uh, he is magnificent in this movie. Movie, and he needs to be in more things. So, he's-
3: well, he's on Narcos if you would just watch it instead of running. <laughs> this week's episode has been
2: brought to you by Narcos.
1: <laughs> I wish we were getting sponsored by Netflix. Come on, guys.
2: We say so many nice things about Netflix. <laughs>
1: Uh, Richard, real quick, has Taron Edgerton done like he broke up big in Kingsman? Uh, he's obviously in the sequel. Has he done anything else? Should I be looking out for him?
2: We, we've we've mostly just been lay, laying low at home. You know, we're we're yeah. we're kind of homebodies. He watching like Narcos, work. right? Yeah, you know, he you know, I I, I I bring home the bacon, and you know, uh, so <laughs> uh, no, I yeah, he's he's had an odd career because he's known for these popular with this one popular kingsman movie but like beyond that you know he was in that movie legend where he played twins the the or no tom hardy played twins but and taron edgerton
0: oh.
2: oh yeah that's yeah. right taron edgerton played the boyfriend of one of the cray brothers
0: he's essentially the lead of Sing, but not that you see his face but that that the uh, cartoon movie with the animals Yeah, because he's got a great singing voice. Terence Edgerton has a beautiful. Are you kidding
2: me? Okay,
1: that's it. That's it. You didn't know that. This guy needs to pick something he's not good at. (laughs) Yeah, and I actually really liked Eddie the
0: Eagle, so I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, Edgerton needs to make more things for sure. He's quite pint-sized. Not that that's like unusual, but there's this great shot. You know, they don't shy away from it. There's this great shot in Kingsman Two where he gives. Colin Firth, this big hug and it pans out and he's like on his tiptoes <laughs> in order to give Colin Firth a hug. <laughs> so uh, yeah. And you know, there's, you know, Elton John has a great, like I think one of the best celebrity cameos of all time in this, in this movie, Kingsman 2. I, Mark Strong has been really good in both installments. And you know, he, Mark Strong for a while was like your go-to villain, uh, in a lot of films, but he's, got a great light comedic touch. So I would love for him to do more things like this uh, in future. And yeah, Kingsman, it's just fun. And Mm -hmm. I understand all the critiques about it. And I hear you and I don't disagree, but I
1: enjoyed it so much. I saw it twice this weekend. So listen, as I try to work up the guts to go see Mother in theaters, like when you're telling me something else is fun, (laughs) the appeal is there for Mm -hmm. sure.
2: I was just looking up Taryn on IMDb. My I man I texted him and I was like, what are you in? Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> he, uh, He's, in, he's playing Robin Hood in a Robin Hood movie coming up uh, with Ben Mendelsohn and, Jane, and, Jane Jamie Dornan Fox. And, and Jamie Foxx and Eve Hewson. So that could be big for him. Um, he's also star- co-starring with Kevin Spacey in a movie called Billionaire Boys Club. Uh, you can make the jokes on your own at home. I will not do it on air. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that could be a big thing. That's with Ansel Elgort, Billy Lord, Emma Roberts, um, Suki Waterhouse, Waterhouse,
1: what a crowd! Elwes,
2: Judd Nelson, Jeremy Irvine, Rosanna Arquette, holy cow, Bokeem Woodbine, just keeps going um anyway so he's got some bigger stuff coming up um but i think that you know if this kingsman sequel does well that will probably solidify him more as a kind of you know go-to name
1: the pictures of the uh billionaires boy club on imb are nuts
2: yeah yeah
1: a lot of a lot of donald trump juniors in that crowd That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review and let other people know that we're around and let them join the awards season conversation, which is ongoing all the time at VanityFair.com and on our Twitter feed at Little Gold Men. And we're all on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Mike,
3: Mike underscore Hogan, and Richard, Rylaws,
1: and Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for free advertising goes to our non-sponsored Netflix.
3: Narcos, nothing but narcos.